So the secret to free energy is the fact that the valence orbital, or excuse me, the or, all of the orbital uh, shells for electrons surrounding an atom contain specific energy states, depending on which orbital shell we're talking about. And when we're dealing with electrodynamics, we're dealing with a statistical phenomenon, just like when we boil water versus when water evaporates on a concrete sidewalk. In both instances, the water's boiling. It's just a question of how many molecules of water are undergoing <clears throat> the boiling state at any one point in time. And because temperature is a is a um, an average, a statistical averaging, it's not the exact temperature of every single molecule of water. Likewise, the energy states um, in, a, let's say, a strand of copper wire, they're not all the same at any one point in time. <clears throat> and the more um, copper atoms exhibit an elevated um, energy state of their valence electrons, the more overall energy is being carried by the wire at a specific point in time. So that if all the copper atoms, or even less than that, if a certain percentage is breached beyond that of how many copper atoms are carrying eleva elevated energy states to their valence electrons, then that might pose a problem for the copper atoms to maintain their integrity as a geometric shape of copper wire without exploding into nanofine particles of copper dust. <clears throat> so when we take that and we couple the fact that um, divergence is where the free energy comes out or is the behavior of free energy is it's the ability for amplitude to diverge rather than converge on a specific value <clears throat> instead it diverges in the course of its in the, in the oscillations of the energy but that does not happen due to the equations of electrodynamic theory or else electrical engineers would have stumbled across it by now by accident they have not and so when they're told to be brainwashed to think that free energy doesn't exist <clears throat> they think oh i guess the teacher's right cuz we don't see it anywhere in these formulas so it guess it's just a con job N little realizing that it's the structure of the atom that makes it possible. And the mathematics that backs that up is not the square root of negative one so much as it's the properties of the, the iterative approximation methods of the quadratic polynomial in one unknown, which Euler, or Euler if you prefer, has spelled out in his theory of continued fractions and how the um, polynomial in one unknown explains um, the phenomenon of utilizing continued fractions as an iterative method for approximating um, the roots of a square root function. So when that translates over or that models the energy states of the valence orbitals, or excuse me, the, the orbital shells, the valence ones being the ones that are available, 
insofar as there are different energy states because the digits <clears throat> of a number represent the coefficients that of of the various summation terms of a polynomial in in one unknown and that unknown is the base of that polynomial. We use base 10, Mother Nature uses something else, either 2 or a, the natural logarithm, whatever it is, it's somewhere around in the vicinity of 2 or else exactly the number 2. And, But when you're dealing with <clears throat> valence shells, energy states, I don't know. I, I have. It's been a while since uh, I studied chemistry or the physics aspect of chemistry, so I can't remember what the energy states are offhand. I'd have to look them up, but I know they're different because I know the bigger, the, the more you go up the atomic chart and the bigger the uh, element on the periodic chart of the elements, not only is it heavier due, the, to, due to the neutrons in the nucleus, but the energy states, you get to add more orbital um, rings. and Well, they are added. They're there... <laughs> And it, that amasses more energy for the atom as opposed to um, something like hydrogen, which only has one orbital, I think, and two electrons in it, as I recall. I could be mistaken. Um, in any case, so it's, it's this divergence phenomenon of, of approximating the, the roots of a polynomial and one, one unknown that's beyond a linear polynomial. It's at least a square root polynomial. And the way I discovered this recently, uh, last night, was when I went back to a, uh, a algorithm that I had come up with on my own uh, 30 years ago when I was studying continued fractions in the golden ratio and, what, and iterative methods of approximating the roots of polynomials in one unknown. And I discovered that by alternating between divergence and convergence, I could achieve <clears throat> the, an approximating algorithm. I could achieve an algorithm that would approximate the roots of any um, root function of a number higher than the square root function on a credit card calculator. And I called it credit card was the web page. Um, and it's a very laid out, very delineated set of uh, rules to follow in case the uh, the root of the number you're taking is an even root or an odd root. You know, even such as the square root or a quad, uh, quartic root versus an odd root such as a cube root or a pentic root of a number. What procedure you follow. Um, but it always comes back to home base. It can, it Every cycle allows for one step in the, in the cycle of... Uh, algorithmic steps to converge using the square root function key on a credit card calculator, but then using that as an accumulation, so to speak, along with the momentum that it took to carry it there from the prior cycle of iterations, um, you carry that forward. And so when it diverges, it doesn't diverge as much as before. The divergence angle, the angle of divergence becomes less and less, and yet always in the direction that's more suitable so that when it converges, the step of convergence in, in the iterative algorithm, 
it's able to increase its accuracy of finding the cube root or the fourth root or the fifth root of a number. And that kind of um, cooperative venture between divergence and convergence is very interesting because um, it's an intelligent use of both forces of nature. Now, we normally associate convergence with um, entropy only insofar as it's one aspect of entropy, namely something veering towards zero, the midline of an oscilloscope tracing. That's convergence because your positive extreme and your negative extreme are becoming less and less extreme in their amplitudes. Um, regardless of the fact that they're alternating in sign value is kind of not important because the absolute value of their magnitude is de decreasing. That's what's important. And so it's converging on zero as its asymptotic limit due to entropy. And this is the way everybody thinks in terms of convergence, as if convergence were the only reality of the universe. But it's possible to create a circuit that diverges and does not seek to converge. And... Because zero is just one position, while infinity is two positions, it can be either positive infinity or negative infinity due to the polarizing uh, value of um, an alternating or oscillating um, wave of electrical energy. Um, in order to approach infinity, and ha in other words, get, gain the benefit of free energy, you have to be able to, to get the circuit to diverge its amplitude. Yet there's no equation in electrodynamic theory that provides for divergence. None. It doesn't exist. All of this is bound up in approximating the roots of polynomials in one unknown, which is purely a mathematical endeavor in the theory side. But on the manifest side, it's bound up in the orbital shells of the atoms of the conductive material or the dielectric material for that matter that it comprises the circuit that you're designing and also is predicated upon other requirements that you don't get in the way of taking advantage of these properties by force feeding your circuit all the voltage it needs to run itself plus extra for losses and then there's no way it becomes self-fulfilling that you'll never have anything diverge. It'll always converge most of the time because it's kind of like a 10-year flood versus a 100-year flood phenomenon in which once in a while something will blow up in your face and you'll, you've been trained and brainwashed as an electrical engineering uh, student or professional now in the field to forget about those and forgive yourself for when they happen because you're, you've been brainwashed to not pay attention to those things. Sometimes, once in a while, somebody pays attention, but nobody can locate where the free energy is coming from. In the material physical world, it's, it's coming from playing around with the orbital shells of the atom. But in the theoretical side, it's not coming from any of the equations of electrical engineering. You won't find it there. It comes from pure mathematics in dealing with polynomials in one unknown because that's what our number is, our number system in base 10 is. You know, the, the number 123 is a polynomial in one unknown. Well, we know what it is. It's not an unknown. In one 
it, it's the base 10. And the first coefficient is the number 1, the second coefficient is the number 2, and uh, the third coefficient is the number 3. And the first coefficient is the coefficient multiplied against the first summation term, which is x squared, or 10 squared, which is 100, so we get 100 out of it. And the 2 is uh, the second coefficient, the b coefficient, that's multiplied against x to the first power, which is 10, which is 20. And the last, the third coefficient, the number 3, is multiplied against the third summation term, which is x to the 0 power, which is 1. So we get 123 out of it. And we may think it's, well, how, what, that, what does that have to do with free energy? It has everything to do with it because it's the only place that divergence occurs when the, when this computer simulator does its number crunching. And in the real world, there's actually an, a, a parallelism that maps directly that phenomenon. And it's the structure of the atom. Something we've been overlooking all this time. Mother Nature, in her own way, has to do what we do. And mathematics doesn't lie, it doesn't cheat, it's not trickery, it's not fantasy, provided we provide the basic, generic view of the universe in mathematical modeling format, not worrying too much about details, just so we can get a vague, general, broad, paint with a broad paintbrush idea of what's taking place so that we can make moral judgments, object, you know, we can form conclusions. Maybe morality is not the right way to put it. Um, well, from a humanistic standpoint, you know, back away and stop being the scientist, stop being the engineer, and just in layman's terms, what is going on? You know, in, in the simplest way possible. And... I have to use the correct terms. Divergence is what free energy format is. And it only happens when we take algorithms that approximate the roots of polynomials in one or possibly more unknowns. It doesn't happen in electrical engineering formula. And yet, electrical engineering format uh, formulas have ignored the structure of the atom leaving it to the physicist to worry about it. And the physicist tells us, well, conservation of energy requires that divergence, namely free energy, cannot occur. And yet it does, because the atom provides for it. Now, I don't know exactly how, but from what I can assess from, from an eagle's eye perspective, so to speak, from a broad perspective, that's the only place I can see it could possibly be occurring at, is that. Um, so those two features, the theoretical side and the physical side. Anyway, that completes this recording, I think, at the moment, um, in my quest to f discover the source of free energy. It's like looking for the source of the Nile, you know, or, or looking for, uh, uh, what's that guy, uh, what was it, uh, Dr. Livingston, I presume, you know, looking for Dr. Livingston. So, uh, Stanley Livingston. Oh, I like it here in the heart of Africa. You don't have to look for me. <laughs> you don't have to rescue me. Oh, boy.